So I'm uh, Jimmy. You might already know I'm working on a book. Taxation is theft, of course. And uh, I started writing all this stuff in there about like the traffic courts and how screwed up they are and how that's all a scam. And as I was doing that, I came up with this idea to write um, or to include all of or, or a lot of the, the traffic laws and definitions from every state. And um, it's pretty interesting what I found, because I guess a lot of people who talk about that kind of stuff, usually what they do is they end up talking about a specific state. So, you know, what happens if you're in a different state? Like I can run around talking about how, how the laws in Texas don't require you to have a driver's license for personal transportation, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody in Arkansas. So as, as a little experiment, I wanted to pull all of the definitions from all 50 states and in, in D.C. and um, the, uh, the federal um, transportation laws. And uh, it was pretty interesting some of the stuff that I found. Um, I'm not even halfway there yet, but um, it's just really interesting to see some of the stuff. So um, I thought I'd share that with some people ahead of the release of the book um, in case anyone else had any comments or questions on it um, that we could dig deeper and maybe guide some of the research that I'm doing. Um, one thing that like really stood out though i'm gonna start with this one so i went to the the um let's see i went to the the federal um uh title 49 um department of transportation and um hey janae uh bring it up um, and something that was interesting in there, because a lot of this whole, you know, the, the whole argument about, um, um, you know, you don't need a license to drive comes from the definition of a lot of words that driving is a commercial term that driving means you're, you're carrying something for, um, for hire or in commerce, um, that a vehicle is not just a car. It's, it's something that's, um, engaged in commerce. And what was really interesting was um, at the federal level, and what you see with a lot of these definitions is is most of the states adopt the federal wording for a lot of their definitions. Um, but they had a definition for um, a commercial motor vehicle. And what was interesting about this is it says a commercial motor vehicle is a vehicle engaged in commerce if it meets the following conditions so it's not just any vehicle engaged in commerce that makes it a commercial vehicle it's um jimmy you probably know a lot about this kind of stuff um if it if it was designed to carry more than 16 passengers um it's considered a commercial commercial motor vehicle if it's designed to carry more than than something like um i think it's like 40 tons or something like that, or, or eight tons or something like that, um, then it's considered a commercial motor vehicle. But regardless, like, let's say it's a little bit smaller than that. If it's a little bit smaller than that, the definition already says if it's engaged in commerce. So if you have a car that's not, that's designed for less than 16 people, 
and it's engaged in commerce, that's still not considered a commercial vehicle, even though it's it, it just literally said that it's engaged in commerce, which is interesting because basically what that means is you have vehicles which are engaged in commerce, which are not considered commercial vehicles. And then you have other vehicles which are engaged in commerce, which are considered commercial vehicles. And so a lot of this um, conversation, you know, when, when, when you say there's, you know, uh, a vehicle means a, a commercial um, uh, mode of transportation, um, what a lot of people think is, well, no, that's not true. That's a commercial vehicle. If it's, if it's you know, your, your personal car is not commercial. And so therefore, you know, you need a, you still need a license because it's not commercial when the reality is um, the license itself only covers commercial use. So it, it's really interesting to see kind of these definitions and how they're all, um, they, they sound redundant, but they're very, they're very crafty in how they, how they word these things to, to get around that. Um, I don't know if that made sense to anybody. Did I explain that right? I got a red line, so I don't know if you can hear me or not. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, I mean, so like what I have is I have a 20-foot box truck. I do not have 26,000 pounds or 13 tons, but I am um, moving commercial gear across the country. So therefore, I would be a commercial vehicle. But when I'm in my Mustang, and it's got two seats and barely enough for to sit one person in the back, that is not a commercial vehicle. Right. Even if you were using it for commerce, right? So, so like, let's say, let's say you loaded your Mustang up with, um, with, I don't know, you're, you're transporting something for somebody. Somebody paid you to transfer, transport something across state lines. That's commerce, right? But it's right. still not a commercial vehicle. Yes. So what states is this the definition that, that you're pulling? So this was, um, this particular it? definition was, um, was the Federal Department of Transportation. Um, if you look, um, I've got like maybe 10 states right here and they all have, um, actually, I didn't grab commercial vehicle because that, that wasn't even on my radar when I was doing this, but, um, but I did get motor vehicle and vehicle and, you know, these these things from from all the different um, from all the different states or from from a handful of different states so far. And what's interesting about this one, so like you look at motor vehicle, right? What's a motor vehicle? And every single state that I have so far, it defines a motor vehicle as basically a vehicle with a motor. And they don't ever um, or most of them don't define what a vehicle means. Um, and some of them, there, there are a couple states that do define vehicle. So, um, like, uh, here, this one is West Virginia and it says a vehicle means device in, upon, or by which any person or property, um, is, or may be transported or drawn upon a highway. Um, except except devices moved by human power blah 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 and that sounds kind of like okay well that's that's a car right um that's a device by which any person or property is or may be transported 
but the important word here is is transport. And if you look for the word transport, that word is not defined in the statutes. And the word transport is actually um, most states don't define this. Uh, this one, let's see, Florida does define transportation, which is the conveyance or movement of goods, materials, livestock, or persons from one location to another. Um, but like some of these words are really important, like conveyance, because all these words like uh, transportation, like transportation is basically um, for hire. Like if you were to look this up in in the dictionary, or especially a legal dictionary where it's got like case case law where it says what transportation means, um, it basically means for hire. So a taxi cab transports passengers, but like when's the last time any of you ever said, oh, I'm going to transport my kids to school in the morning or um, I have to transport my wife to, you know, an appointment? Like no, nobody uses that word transport because it, it doesn't. It, it's kind of like subconscious. It doesn't make sense in in, um, in that context for any of us to to use that word. Um, but if you actually look at what the word means, like it, it kind of clicks and it starts making sense. Transportation is always about um, it's always about commerce. It's always about moving things for for money. And you know, if you want to get into the constitution of it, whether you know <laughs> whether or not that was even valid, the constitution says they can regulate commerce. Um, of course, that doesn't mean they can restrict commerce, which is which is a different conversation. But um, that's you know they're, they're allowed to create laws governing um, commerce, but not personal use. And there's even there's even um, case law that says you know highways are are free for the public to use. It's it's you know just like the um, the Fourteenth Amendment says you know everybody has equal rights and equal access to to government rights and privileges. Um, you have the, the government roads being public and being paid for with with your money, even though it was against your will. Um, these are public things; they're public spaces. And just like they can't say, you know, oh, you you need a permit if you want to protest in front of the White House, um, you know, they can't say that. It's the same thing. They can't say, you know, you can't be on these roads unless you have um, a permit or a license for that. Um, and it's it's really one of the like the wording in, in one of the cases was um, was that um, any individual has the right to travel upon a public highway um, and to carry their personal property with them. Um, and so a lot of people will get into this conversation and say, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, that means you can walk down a highway and you don't need a license to walk down a highway or maybe to, you know, have a have a, a you know a bag of luggage and, and you know drag your luggage down the highway you don't need a license for that but because it's a car and it has a motor and it's dangerous that you know somehow that gives them the right to you know require a license for that which which has nothing to do with um with you know the the, the actual reality of, of of the um the basis of these laws um There's uh, so this is this is another interesting one, um, traffic, and we always hear the word traffic like you know drug trafficking, sex trafficking, um, you know this sort of thing, right? Um, and what the word traffic 
um, usually means. Actually, here, let me let me see if I can pull up Black's Law Dictionary right now. Um, let me give you theirs. So what's what's cool about um, Black's Law Dictionary is it's it's not just the dictionary. Um, it's it, it links to um, uh, actual court cases, and it'll give you you know the the um, the precedents for for where these definitions come from in you know in the legal environment. So trafficking um, is the carrying on of uh, of an illegal commercial activity, such as selling drugs or substances that are banned. Um, this one points out illegal commercial activity, but there's, let's see, in general, it's just commercial activity. It doesn't necessarily need to be um, illegal for it to be trafficking, but it's interesting that, that like, okay, so how did we get to this point where, where traffic is, you know, we think of traffic as like, you know, sitting in, sitting in with a bunch of packed cars, but that also means the same thing as, as you know, moving things for, for money from one point to another. Um, why, why are we using the same word for that? Um, and, and it's because all these words are kind of like rooted in the history of, of, um, of commerce. This is, this is really what this is about. Um, here, this one is um, traffic. Uh, commerce, trade, dealings in merchandise, bills, money, and the like. And this this links to a federal case, um, insurance company, DC, uh, Levine versus State in Texas, um, and a couple other cases. So so this actually has um, uh, here People versus Hamilton, uh, which was a case in New York. Um, Merriam versus Langdon, uh, which was a Connecticut Connecticut case. So basically, like there's there's case law that stands up and says like the word traffic um, is is commercial trade. And so when you go back to these definitions and and you know the states that don't define um, traffic, that's what it means. Um, or sometimes they change the the actual definition of traffic. Um, uh, in, in the laws themselves. And of course, those definitions are a little bit more specific and those those would be, the, the way the law would work is is that if they have a definition, then you would use that definition. But if there is no definition, you would use, you know, basically what what um, the legal precedent would be. Um, so, let's see. Um, so, and, and so like this one is from Alabama, they define traffic. They say uh, pedestrians, ridden or herded animals, vehicles, streetcars, or other conveyances. And and again, conveyances is you know you you think of like um, a, uh, a a title contract when you transfer property to from one person to another. That's considered a conveyance. Um, it's it's you know these this is um, it, it's not like we you know. What is, what is a conveyance, right? And like a lot of people, it's like the first thing you think of is a conveyor belt, right? But it's um, a conveyance is actually a legal term that's used for um, conveying property and all this other thing. It's it's used in commerce again. So all these things we're talking about commerce. Um, and, I know. Uh, 
um, with Jimmy CDL that he goes into personal conveyance, like if he's doing personal business and not um, doing something with the goods and so forth that he's driving. Like say if he's driving to a restaurant or to go do laundry or something, it's to be put in as personal conveyance. So I don't know how that fits into what you're talking about, but that's the, the term they use for that. Yeah, I mean, it's literally it's literally a button on my computer, on my DOT computer that's attached to my truck. And if I use it for personal use, I go into personal conveyance. I mean, that's actually the button I push. Yeah, so, so it's interesting, right? Because when you get your driver's license, they're they're essentially calling you a driver right um and so whatever you do like you basically you know if you ask the government if i'm sitting in my car what am i doing and they're going to tell you you're operating a motor vehicle right you're not driving your car you're operating your your motor vehicle you're driving it right and and driving you know if you look at um um we we can look at the definition of driver right in Alabama, they define driver, every individual who drives or is an actual, first of all, <laughs> a driver is somebody who drives, but then they don't define the word drive. So they're, they're kind of using a word to define itself, right? But then they go on to say, or is in actual physical control of a vehicle. So now we're still talking about vehicles. Um, so is your car a vehicle is, is the question. And they don't ever define vehicle. They don't define the word car. Um, uh, Mississippi, they don't define driver, but they define they define operator. The term operator means um, any particular, sorry, any person in actual physical control, very similar wording, of a motor vehicle on the highway. So if you're not on the highway, you're not an operator. But it also says again, motor vehicle, um, very specific, right? And and again, they define motor vehicle. Um, and and so let's let's stick with uh sorry that was mississippi the the defined operator and let me go back and it, because they actually define motor vehicle let's read motor vehicle again means every and, and it, it'll start you off thinking in like oh yeah that's me that's that's me in my car every automobile motorcycle mobile trailer semi-trailer truck truck tractor trailer and every other device in upon or by which any person or property is or may be, and then this is where it is again, transported. So, so they keep going back to transported and, and none of them ever define. So out of, let's see, I've got like, I've got like 20 states here that I've gone through so far. And the only one that even defines the word transportation is Florida. So New Jersey, New York, um, Arkansas, Kentucky, none of them define the word um, transportation. And the federal law doesn't define transportation either. So again, we have to go back to, um, to, you know, what's the legal definition of it and, and it's, it's commerce. Um, so let's see. Um, transportation. So this is Black's Law Dictionary. The removal of goods or persons from one place to another by a carrier and they've got all these um all these uh court cases listed um railroad company versus pratt um commerce coin versus 
Brimson, um, Gloucester Ferry Company versus Pennsylvania. Like all of this stuff has to do with commerce. And they're telling you right here that this is transportation is commerce. Um, and, you know, what they're going to tell you is, no, 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 transportation is just whenever you're driving in your car. But, you know, when you have a conversation, like if you were, let's say you were just go um, to go, you know, walk up to a cop and say, hey, I was reading that I don't need a driver's license to, to, to drive on the roads, to use my car on the roads, um, because I'm not doing it. I'm not engaged in commerce. And you were just to have this conversation. First of all, they've they've you know they've got a job and they're trained to do their job in a certain way they haven't actually gone and, and read through these laws and they have no reason to because they've been told you know their whole lives just as everybody else has that you know you need a license to drive and anything you do with a car on a road is is called driving and they've had no reason to question that so if you go up to them and ask them hey i heard this you know this crazy thing that i don't need a driver's license what they're going to say is no if you're in your car you're operating a motor vehicle they're, they're going to tell you that they're you know this is you know, not that they're trying to lie to you and trick you, but this is just what they're conditioned to believe. This is what they've been taught. This is what everybody's, everybody's been taught. Um, and so if you try to get this down to really specific terms, what do these words mean? They'll, they'll tell you what they think they mean. Um, but if you, if you start to, you know, question them on that. So let's say, for example, you say, well, is my car really a motor vehicle? Can you define what a motor vehicle is? They don't know the definitions off the top of their head, and they might be able to look them up, um, and they're going to say, well, it says every vehicle. Well, obviously, your car is a vehicle. How is that obvious? It, like, this is the law we're talking about. Um, the law is extremely specific, right? If, it, if, if it's obvious that my car is a vehicle, um, why would they need to define motor vehicle? It's obvious that my car has a motor in it, right? So it seems like maybe it would be, it would be, um, more correct for them to define the word vehicle and then for it to be obvious that my car is a motor vehicle than for them to define the word motor vehicle and just leave it up to to what? Just the guesswork? What, what an actual vehicle means? Um, doesn't that seem a little strange? So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, a, a lot of this is... Um, I don't want to, you know, get everybody jumping to the conclusion of, hey, I'm going to throw out my driver's license and, you know, I like I can do this now. Like, uh, that's not really uh, the point of this, because I've I've done that myself. Um, and it's it's not easy. Right. Because you're <laughs> you're going to get stopped. Um, you're going to get quizzed by the cops. And if you don't, you know, if you don't say the right thing, you know, or even if you do say the right thing, they're not going to believe you. They're going to write you a ticket anyway. They might arrest you, take your car, you know, all these other things. So um, I, I, I do want to, you know, <laughs> throw that out there. Quick disclaimer. Um, but it's it's uh, it's just really interesting to see that you can you can really kind of start to get a, a clearer picture of, um, you know, what's really going on here. Um, just just by some of these definitions. And, and yeah, you kind of have to read between the lines. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people and they start asking questions and they're like, well, you know, show me a court case where somebody was driving without a license and the court said, yeah, you don't need a license um, to use your car on public roads. Um, there's not going to be a case like that out there. Um, usually, and, and I've tried this myself, if you bring that kind of argument and, and you bring the right argument to the court, 
they're going to dismiss your case before you know it ever gets to to any court of record and, and there's any record of this um but like what people are looking for is like we have these laws and we have these court rulings and what people are looking for is you know there's there's if the government is lying to you they're not going to provide you a very concrete hey by the way we're lying to you and you don't need a license and you don't need this and that and and everything that we said is a lie they're not going to provide that to you um but a lot of people who are you know you're this is the world that we live in, right? Everybody's kind of, we go to public schools, we're conditioned to to think, you know, we should trust the police and the government's always looking after us and politicians are smart and they know what they're doing and they know how they're, they're brilliant. They know how to manage the money and they make sure that it's not being inflated. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're conditioned. Um, and so when you have this kind of belief in authority, when you start to hear something like this, like the first thing that a lot of people will say is, well, if that's true, there has to be like there should be a law somewhere i mean they have a law that says i have a right to free speech so why wouldn't they just have a law somewhere that says i have a right to use my car without a license and if i can't find that i'm going to assume that this this must all be totally bogus and this guy's lying to me and you know anybody who thinks this is crazy um but that's you know that's just simply not the case you have to really learn to kind of think for yourself and look at what these things are actually saying what the law is actually telling you and objectively kind of you know think for yourself is this does this really subject me to these laws do i really have to follow these rules or are these meant for somebody else that that the government actually does have a legal authority to to control and maybe not for every little thing that i'm doing wouldn't some of that like be covered under like the Fourth Amendment and and traveling unencumbered with your papers and all of those things? I'm, yeah. I'm back like Adam Adam Kokash for one. I know that he's been thrown in before, but then I think everything's always been like thrown back out. So there probably isn't a a case where it actually did get on to court to where there would be a precedent, but I'd love to have Adam Kokesh in on this convo just because I know that he's done some, some searching on this stuff as yeah, well. Um, this was kind of impromptu, but, um, but I would love to have him in and, and talk about that. Um, I actually talked to him last week. Do you hear Roger? Um, <laughs> hey, I, I've got a I've got a, a funny thing to say uh, at the Washington Convention. I won't say who said it, but I heard a rumor, and uh, I'm going to report it as a rumor because the person wasn't exactly reliable. But you guys will love hearing this since his name came up. Um, first of all, we were joking about the uh, Nick Sarwak being um, a Fed, and somebody looked me dead in the eye and said, "Sarwak's not the Fed. Kokesh is." And then he started walking me through all of these reasons of why he believed Adam Kokesh was a fed. It was pretty funny. Oh, hilarious. Interesting. Oh, he, he, he was, interesting. He's like, you ever notice how he gets arrested and he gets released the next day? Fed. And like, he had like five points. I don't even remember all the five points. I wish I had it recorded. It was amazing. 
<laughs> well, yeah, but Adam, Adam Kokesh is a perfect example of what you're talking about, though, Dan, because several times he's been arrested, thrown in jail. Uh, his dog, he had problems with dogs. The dog was in the vehicle with him. I mean, all kinds of stuff, but every single time they release him. So I think there's something in substance to what you have to say there. Well, he just says, I'm, I'm not subject to your laws. You know, when they put Thelma and Louise, the, the dogs, in jail, too, and you know, but people were able to go get them and get get the dogs out. But he's just like, then they'd call him in the court and he'd be like, nah, I don't think I'll go today. And eventually they just let his ass out. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe he is a fed. Let's just start the rumor now. Adam Koch has said he's a fed uh, so yeah, much that he'll sit there for nine. It, yeah. And do not repeat my name as the the starter of this rumor because I did not start. Oh no, <laughs> I revealed my sources. But um, oh, I remember another point but, that was made uh, because he worked because he worked for the government when he was in the military. Like that was another like, and this was like dead serious, staring like a hole in my soul. Like you know, like 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 he was communicating truth to me, and I was like, what the hell. I will say though, it was after the whiskey tasting, so he he was inebriated. <laughs> awesome. Um, hey, I I see I see some good people down um down in the bottom. If you want to come up, just raise your hand. If you want to ask questions or anything, um, it's this is really just kind of an open forum. I'm not really teaching a class or anything. Um, but uh, and this is a new um this is a new clubhouse that I created, taxation and theft. So. Um, I, I'm working on a million different projects and, and I'll probably just start different rooms on different subjects. So um, if you want to follow the room, um, that would be awesome or follow me. Um, that was going to be my next question. Like, do you do you want me to invite people that I think would be interested or not? Because yeah, some build a club and they're like, yeah, I really didn't. You know, and other times they're like, damn, thank you. You know, so. I don't mind. Yeah, I figured. I, I, I mean, at one point, what I was going to try to do was was create different rooms for some of the different initiatives. Like I, I started one for legalized happiness already, um, but I figured this this would be kind of um, a, a better way, just because I'm you know every every day I'm on a different project, um, and uh, it, it doesn't make sense to try to you know create a new room for everything. Um, so this is this is kind of a what's going on with Dan <laughs> clubhouse, I guess. Um, yeah, but uh, feel free to invite anybody here. Alrighty. And sorry um, for interrupting there, but I was going to ask you about no, that. That's, that's cool. Yeah, no. So, so it, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, the, the Kokesh cases, um, like I've, I've been in situ similar situations um, and, you know, I've told my stories to people and, and like, I don't even believe them myself sometimes. And, you know, people, people will tell me like, no, that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, like, you know, um, I've had cases where I've gone in and I made this, you know, this, this long statement about how, you know, the, the, the court doesn't have any jurisdiction over me. Um, this isn't a real court. Um, it has no real authority. It's not a constitutional court and, you know, all, all these, all these things. And, um, you know, I got laughed out of court by the judge and the prosecutor 
um, which <laughs> I, was, I was laughing myself because the guy's name was actually Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> um, but so like I get laughed out of the courtroom and they're like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to meet again next month and, and you know, we're going to take this trial. And then I get back and they're just like, you know, hey, we'd like to dismiss this case like out of nowhere. They're just like, we, we want to dismiss it now. And and Commissioner Gordon, he's like, he's like, on what grounds? And the prosecutor's like, in the interest of justice, that's it. Now this thing is dismissed. And, you know, the, the people that I know who have who have done some of this kind of stuff themselves, um, you know, I look at that one and I'm like, OK, they probably thought it was crazy and just didn't want to deal with me. Right. Um, but then these other people are like, no, you, you called them on their bullshit and and they didn't want to have any of that on record because, you know, it, once you basically refuse to submit to their authority, um, you know, if they were to force that on you, that would be criminal. Um, and, you know, the type of person who knows anything about that is potentially the type of person who would who would come back around and sue them for it. Um, and, and just to just to like you know because a lot of people are like no that's that's what courts are right you go to court and like the court has the authority to to hear any case but what we're talking about is like a judge judy type of court right um and and you know i've been in small claims before and like i actually got a call from judge judy's you know production department or whatever and they're like hey we know you have a case in small claims would you like to have that heard on the judge judy show um and basically what happens is is they see that there's two people who two parties who have a dispute in a legitimate legal government court and they basically say do you want to withdraw your case from this court and put it in front of judge judy who's a lawyer she's trained she knows the law um she's going to hear your case and what you do is you basically sign a contract saying even though she's not a judge, she hasn't been elected, she's not under any oath of office, she's not, this isn't a constitutional court, you're waiving your right to have your case in front of a real court and whatever decision she makes is gonna be legally binding. And so you sign a contract to that, to that matter. And it, it's basically the same thing as, um, you know, other, other companies, other, other you know, people who sue each other, they do this all the time, it's called arbitration. Um, they just don't televise it and, and, and you know, <laughs> dress the person up in a judge, but that's exactly what it is. This is, this is basically, um, a, an extra legal meaning, you know, outside of, outside of the court, um, an extra legal hearing of, uh, or an arbitration, um, that that's going to determine this. And if they called me and said, Hey, you want to be on judge Judy? but they didn't call the other party and the other party said, no, I don't want to be on judge Judy and I don't consent to judge Judy's jurisdiction, or I don't, I don't surrender my rights to have this in front of, you know, the court that I have a right to have this heard in front of. It wouldn't it, like, I could go in front of judge Judy and she could say, <laughs> you know, she could say, Oh, I'm going to issue a default ruling. It wouldn't mean anything because it's not legal. It's outside of the court. And, and the other party didn't sign any contract. So it's, it's basically useless. The government sets up their own courts that act almost exactly in the same way. The difference being that they they try to create the illusion that these are real courts. Um, they'll you know they'll they'll use words that make their judges sound like judges. Um, in California, I've seen this a million times. They they say um, they say judge pro tem. Um, and so what happens is you know when they're lining people up like sheep in the traffic courts. They'll come out and they'll say, 
we don't have a we don't have a judge available today um and they'll make it sound like you know she's sick with the flu or something but there there is no judge like or the judge is sitting in the room next door with you know nothing to do um the reason that they do this is because they don't have to play by the rules if they get you to surrender your rights and say you know oh the, the case can't be heard by a judge it's going to be heard by a judge pro tem then then you know if you have they'll say if you have any objection you know say something now and and you know we'll we'll make sure you get in front of a real judge um and then you know after this is all done they'll usually pass around a clipboard and make you sign your consent and they don't even tell you what this is they they make it sound like you're just signing in but if you read the top of the the clipboard and like i'm i'm speaking from personal experience and like i know this is um, you know, it, it's going to vary from state to state and from court to court. But in this particular instance, it's like nobody's reading what's at the top of the clipboard, but it says, you know, I'm, I'm giving consent to, to this court to make a ruling in my case. Um, and, and this court would have absolutely no authority to do so if I didn't sign that paper. Um, and, you know, in, incidentally, I mean, I, <laughs> So <laughs> I guess when I was kind of learning about the system, like sometimes I would I would just say, OK, I'm going to sit here um, one, one time I didn't object and I just sat there. But when the paper came around, I didn't sign it. And I went and it was like a, I think I made a U-turn in that case and I wasn't supposed to. And um, and I lost. But then when they when they said, hey, so you have to pay, you know, they, they sent they started sending me letters. Hey, you owe us money. Um, what I did was I sent them. Um, I sent them a letter under the, the federal law, uh, Fair Debt Collections and Practices Act saying, um, saying, look, um, I know like I was, I was at the place, but, uh, I never signed any contract with you. I don't have a contract with you. Um, you don't have my consent to, to issue a ruling on this issue. And so therefore I'm not going to pay you anything. And federal law says, if you continue to harass me and ask me for money, then I have a right to sue you. And in that case, like it, they, they just stopped sending me letters. Um, and, you know, they never issued a warrant for my arrest or anything like that. They just kind of disappeared. So it, it's really interesting to see. And like, again, this is not like, I, I still don't have anything that says, you know, from the government that says, yes, it's true. Our court is a scam. Um, but it's like, every every all these little pieces of evidence kind of point in that direction i don't Man, have my hero either. i swear to god i don't have a license either nice and i is that I also, have you have you I travel like that you drive around or yeah have you yeah issues? I, you know it's funny i drive around and i also smuggle drugs but it's not but it's not insulin it's other drugs nice yeah but I no do shame. pay taxes. But I do pay taxes. Well, we'll have to work on that. <laughs> yeah, but then sometimes when I get pulled Please. over, and and CHP, because I live in California, or like, you know, Berkeley PD, but CHP, um, when they pull me over, they, they, uh, they have every right to like uh, pull me out the car and impound it, apparently, because I'm driving on a suspended license. Ah, that's a, that's actually a really important distinction. So if you look in the California Motor Vehicle Code and you look at the, the difference of driving with a suspended license and driving without a license, you'll see that driving with a suspended license is a lot different than driving without one at all. Because 
the like so so basically like this all comes down to like contracts and agreements right like i'm talking about this court and where if i don't sign a contract with them they have no authority over me you signed a contract with them and then you broke the contract but not entirely you still have that contract and but it's in a suspended state which means they now have extra authority to do certain things and that's all in the terms of the license that you sign so can i just drive in a different state and i'll be good apparently so like i want to say 20 or 30 years ago they came up with this system where all of this basically like truck drivers were driving from state to state and and they realized hey um if my license gets suspended from here i can get a different license in another state and some truck drivers had like 10 different driver's licenses um and whenever they got stopped they would just show a valid one um, so like 20 or 30 years ago, they created a system that combined all the state's DMVs together and all of their records. So if you get stopped in a different state um, and if you're if you're accused of a crime, um, and of course, that's that's something you have to argue with the police, um, then you're required to at least identify yourself and give them your name and your date of birth, which will probably um, show up in their system as, hey, this guy has a suspended license in another state. Um, now. Technically, if you took that to their court, you still don't have an agreement with them in that state and what they want to do with you there. And I, ha I have been stopped in Texas while I had a suspended license in California and no license at all in Texas. Um, and all they told me was, I'm going to leave, but you're not allowed to drive. You have to have someone else come here and drive your car. Like, OK, honestly. Yeah, that, yeah that, happened, that happened to me before. Yeah, you know, so, you know, you know what the problem is. The problem with like this country ultimately is that we don't care about our people. The there's so much people that have FTAs, failure to appear, unable to pay their tickets, unable to get from job to job, unable to provide for their families, and the government lets them hang high and dry while this government gives ten billion dollars a year to the Zionist state of Israel. Can you believe that? $10 billion yeah, yeah. a year to a foreign government instead of to our own people. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's disgusting. And to the military industrial complex and to the bankers yes. and every, yes. yeah, they're, they're giving it to everybody, but yet, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people can just look at, oh yeah. Okay. You got a traffic ticket, just pay it. But the reality is like, it hurts poor people the most because like you know as, as soon as you're like okay well i can't i can't pay the ticket but i still have to get to work right so now like oh you get another ticket because you didn't pay the first ticket and then they start exactly. adding more fines stupid. and it all piles up and it gets worse and worse and 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 then it's like oh well you still didn't pay the tickets now you're going to jail now you can't even get to work on the bus um yeah it's it's absolutely a tragedy what they're what they're doing to a lot of people and and you're right they just don't care i mean it's a it's like a it's like a, a profit mill for them they're just they're running us through there like sheep and just fleecing us and and it's it's insane um yeah and it and and you're right too like you know like like yeah the government doesn't care about us but i i think there's like a lot of humanity missing from from citizens too because when you tell these stories about how like you know oh like 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 there was that guy who got shot in the back because he, he was running from a cop because he didn't pay a traffic ticket over over like expired plates and it's like 
it's like so many people will just look at that and be like, well, if you would have just paid for the expired plates, none of this would have happened, which, yeah, that's technically true. But come on, this is this is not <laughs> the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like, exactly. Yeah. You, you have to see how inhumane a system is if the system is allowed to do this. Dan, are you uh, I mean, I just have to say you're basically my hero because I completely agree with you. Tax is uh, theft. Are you an objectivist? I try to be. <laughs> I don't oh think anybody's God. truly objective. I think everybody, you know, we all have our personal biases, but I, I, I think I try to be. I'm truly objective. No, no, I'm <laughs> saying like, uh, like, uh, like the philosophy from Ayn Rand. Oh, I, I'm not a huge Ayn Rand fan. Um, I don't really have much against her, but like I, I just could never get into those books. Um, okay, no, no, because like tax, like taxationist theft is like a big thing for objectivists, so that's why. But um, awesome, I love the cause. I love the, uh, the, I love the fight. Sorry. Awesome, thanks, man. Yeah, everybody who who just got here, uh, make sure you follow the room or join the room and follow me. Um, so and Rand like super racist or some shit like that. Ayn Rand was definitely not a racist at all. She thought of racism as a pr primitive form of thinking and a form of tribalism. Sorry, yeah, it's I interesting. Really like a, a, a lot of people's opinions on different, like on different people, like yeah, all, all those, all kinds of weird things, like get misinterpreted. Um, and and. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I can't say myself. I don't know a whole lot about her, but like, yeah, so many so many people who aren't racist get called racist, or so many people who are who are good get called evil, or evil get called good. Um, it's yeah, it's it's like she wrote she wrote a book about like, is she the one that wrote like Atlas Shrugs or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm a, I'm gonna keep it real. I don't really know her philosophy too much, but. I know, like, she's, like, I know that book is kind of, like. It's not racist at all. If that's no, but, like, mean. that book kind of is, like, short-sighted. Not at all. Literally not at all. It's. Yeah. I would highly suggest. Like, Joe I'd Rogan reads that. Like, Joe Rogan recommended that book. Like, you, like, you, like, are you on that Joe Rogan type of free thinking? Yeah like that yeah i mean i've listened to joe rogan a few like i've, I mean, I've listened yeah, to so, joe rogan a few okay, bit so, okay. but like i'm like i'm not i'm not gonna say like like i'm the biggest joe rogan fan like i listen to some some of the, the the podcasts that he has with some interesting people but like i'm not on like the daily i don't i just don't have time for it yeah but if if there's a book that i'd recommend it's it's that or or the virtue of selfishness if you're looking for a shorter book Yeah, I think like she that book that book is that that's not a good book. Wait, I, I can't hear you, bro. You're, you're, you're no, like that's sure. not no like Atlas Shrugged is it's not a good book. What's what do you think isn't good about it? It's inconsistent. With and what? it's not and it's and and like Anne Rand, she's she's very dismissive. Of, of what of religion and people's 
differences and especially that that pertains to the global south she doesn't really consider them in this alteranian view that she has i don't understand what that means exactly like, like it's, okay, it's a philosophy so like you adopt as an individual to guide to navigate your to navigate right? for yourself so for me like me i'm palestinian right okay and and i'm muslim right so a lot of my politic is rooted in like liberation framework and a lot of my like a lot of my spirituality of course comes from my faith right so a lot of my philosophy and worldview comes from my faith according to Anne rand and according to her book in atlas shrugged there's really i'm wrong i need to like the way i look at society because my religion is reductive apparently and it's short-sighted so if someone mm -hmm. someone argues that 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 doesn't seem like someone is like smart you know like if if, if i if i were to call all christians stupid like that would I mean be that's not what she says she say. says if you're religious you're ra you're 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 irrational because if i ask you're you to irrational. prove to me that god exists how yeah. can you think someone that says that if you're religious you're irrational is smart like how could you like well, okay, so if I ask you, prove to me God exists. What do you tell me? Prove to me God doesn't exist. Well, it's not up to me to prove a negative. It's not. It's not up to me to prove that God exists. Of course, of course, it is. Uh, You're uh, telling me. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, Simon, Simon, fine. I'll, I'll go on this train with you real quick. Okay, let's I, let's I get back. Let's let's get Simon, back. I have a quick question. I have a quick. I'm not trying to get into this. I mean, I know, can... but I have a quick question for you. Quick question. Go ahead. Go Are ahead. you a contingent being? What does that mean? Is your existence contingent upon something? So, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? You're, so you're existence, existence exists separate no, from consciousness. Your existence, your existence is contingent upon two people. Existence. Yeah. Right. So, if we go, if we keep following this trail, we'll find ultimately a necessary being for your existence right okay so you're talking around the primacy of existence i'm, I'm asking like we are all contingent beings well, okay right? what you're saying you're saying that Who the universe the starts with god being? so okay okay you're saying the universe starts with god correct the universe starts with a necessary being who's that no no no, no, no. hold on hold on hold on okay I, i'm saying it doesn't start with a necessary being so, that's what i'm telling you the okay, universe is infinite it, okay. it starts with nothing it's eternal yeah, let's, let's, but that, I'm not trying to get into this. Like traffic laws is not has nothing to do with God. It's, All right, okay, it's, no worries, um, man. No worries. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's a great conversation, mind. but yeah, yeah, not not for this room. I'm not trying to um, I'm not trying to dilute the conversation over here. <laughs> it's all it's all good, guys. Um, I, I think I think you know both of you have your have your opinions, and I think it's it's those that's always a great conversation. But um, we'll, we'll hold that in another room another time. Um. Yeah, does, yeah, I just uh, followed you, man. I'm gonna see you again. Thank you. So awesome, much. for sure. Um, yeah, does um, anybody that's been listening so far, um, uh, if you have any questions um, on on any of the stuff that I've been talking about, um, uh, definitely um, raise your hand if you're down in the audience. Um, definitely ask your questions. Um, So, is this only uh, exclusive to the U.S.? 
because I'm in France right now and I'm trying to not pay taxes at all. <laughs> so that's an interesting question. Um, so I, I'll say this, it's definitely going to be different. Um, so the U.S., I'm, I'm sure like you've, you've heard, like a lot of people call it like the great experiment. It was supposed to be like the freest country ever made. Yeah, of course, um, of course. And and in that, and they, they did, you know, the Constitution's not perfect, but they did a pretty good job to try to say, like, you know, this is this is a free country and everybody, you know, respect people's rights and property and all this stuff. And so when when they tried to create their their taxes, you know, and this was this was like, you know, some of this was like 100 years after the country had been around. And, you know, these politicians are like, hey, let's let's see if we can, you know, extract some money out of some people. Um, yes, sir. And, and but like they're they're limited by this constitution to be able to steal from people because because they had those protections there. So what they mm -hmm. had to do is they had to create a very sneaky way to to impose a tax that they would be able to get everybody to pay. Um, now, you could, you know, and I don't I don't know what the constitution looks like um, over there, but. You know, you kind of have to go down that path, first of all, and, and really understand your constitution. And because the constitution is kind of like, um, <laughs> forgive the reference, but it's it's the God of the government. Right. It is the, yeah, for it sure, is the for sure. founding document. Right. It's mm -hmm. every like everything that the government does is supposed to be done with the constitution. And while most of us didn't actually sign any constitution, it's basically the philosophy that somebody had the right to do everything that the government does and they they gave that power to the government through the constitution um at least if it's you know some we the people type type government versus you know a king who just says i'm gonna do whatever i want because i've <laughs> i have a bigger army um and so you'd have to look through that constitution and say does this constitution allow this government to just run around and steal from people um which you know, it, it may or may not say. I I have heard a lot of Canadians um, say very similar things to the things that I say about not having to pay income tax, um, oh not having God. to use driver's okay, licenses. What's that? Okay, because I'm because I'm Canadian, so like any so like any loopholes that you can tell me about or or point me in a direction where someone can ed educate me on this, uh, that would be amazing um let's see so generally i think the the whole driving without a license thing is um is is generally referred to as right to travel um so you maybe if you search for canada and right to travel you might be able to find something okay um, i think it's a right to mobility i'm not sure uh, do you but you said you live in france now yeah, but it's because I haven't I haven't declared myself uh, like I haven't exited technically, but like it's already like almost a year that I'm here. It's I, I'm I'm just in I'm just in a really complicated situation, but like I permanently moved to France, but I haven't like technically declared myself as gone. So I'm gotcha. I'm only like like quote unquote traveling. Yeah. So um, are, are, do they try to like make you pay taxes while you're there? Like if you earn any uh, money while you're there or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, like I work here full time, but like because I still have like my my accounts set up in in Montreal. 
So mm-hmm. like uh, whenever my clients pay me, it just goes directly to my Canadian account. I see. And, and you're using like a, like what, like a PayPal or yeah, something like, like that? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, just a payment processor. Stripe. Yeah. So, okay. So probably what's happening is um, I'll use PayPal as an example, but like you, so PayPal works in a lot of different countries and every country where they work, they're registered with the local government. And so, um, so I couldn't, um, I'm in Mexico right now, but I have, I have a bank in the U S and I can, I can open PayPal and I can connect it to that. Now I'm also in Mexico and I have a Mexican account, but I can't connect that to my same PayPal account. Cause as far as PayPal is concerned, that's an American account. Yeah, exactly. I would have to open a separate account and, and yeah. they're very separate. So if you were able to open a, a French bank account, um, and get like a French payment processor, then nothing would be reported to Canada and you wouldn't have to pay. Now, whether or not that's legal is going to, you know, is going to really depend on, you know, what the Canadian constitution says, but there are a lot of people who, um, who I've heard say, and, and I'm not an expert on the Canadian law, but basically the same thing that you don't have to pay the income tax in Canada. Um, and that um, in the U S a lot of people, get stuck paying the tax because somebody reports it, even though it's really not taxable income, somebody reports it as taxable income, like your payment processors. Um, and there's in the U S there's a way to dispute that. I don't know if there's a way to dispute that in Canada, but if it's just simply not reported to them, then you don't have anything to worry about. Um, okay, perfect. So I'm just not yeah. going to declare my income for this year. Yeah. Well, the, the only thing is if your payment processor notifies the government and says, you know, Hey, you earn this much money. And then they, they basically expect to, to collect tax on that. So that's, that's something you need to, uh, okay, okay, okay. but it's, it's possible that they're not reporting. Like in the U S there's, there's a limit. Um, and you know, depending on, I think it's like, it used to be $10,000 and 500 transactions. And if it was, you know, below either one of those, they wouldn't report it but they, they tried to change that recently till it's like almost nothing. Um, so every, everything would get reported, but, um, but ultimately what you can do is you can go up to the IRS and, um, and again, Canada might be different, but it might be similar and say, Hey, I lost all my paperwork. Tell me, you know, everything that everyone reported to you. So I know how to file my taxes and, you know, whatever they have is all they know. And that's, that's all you have to pay. Oh, that's fucking, oh man. Okay. I'm definitely writing that down. Cause yeah, li- literally like I, I, th- I have a lot of conversations about is taxation theft and I'm always the one on the outskirts and I'm, and I'm the one trying to defend like th- basically the government is stealing from everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got your, you've got your. Stockholm syndromes who are who are like no they're not stealing from me I'm happy to pay taxes yeah exactly yeah it's it's not what about the and like whenever I bring Rose. it up the the very first question I get asked is yo what about the poor people mm. I guess you know Canada I have no responsibility job taking care of yeah them, right yeah um, yeah what's, what's interesting is um so when I, when I kind of like first started joining this liberty movement, the answer to what about the poor people was always screw the poor people. Um, but that that never really sat well with me. So so now when when that question is asked, like it's it's become a lot more clear to me that people are poor because of the government. And oh, well, I mean, you, you can say that. But in terms of like a moral responsibility, you have none to other people. 
that's just i don't have a i don't have a moral responsibility to, towards a, a poor person it's just right. as simple as that the the problem with the problem with taking that position and this is this is more of like a political thing than you know i mean technically factually correct yes you have no no obligation to to do anything for anyone else um but the the problem is it makes you sound like you just don't care and, and like as long as as long as you're taking care of you're happy to you know it, it makes you sound like the evil rich capitalist who wants to you know price gouge and rip everybody off and, and get yeah rich but i don't i don't mind that. donating money but if you're gonna steal from me to give to someone else i mean right right and that's, that's no... the thing so you you actually do have some compassion towards other people but it doesn't come, yeah. up, come across that way but so so this is why i say it's kind of like it, it's it's kind of a political conversation because you can actually say so so if you do say those things you're probably going to create an enemy but if you say people are poor because of government policy which and there's there's plenty of ways you can prove yeah, that. yeah of course of course now you're going to have a friend <laughs> and especially a friend who wants to get rid of some of these gov government policies that are creating poor people because of course you know if you eliminate the problem of poverty then you know when you say let's get rid of taxes nobody can say what about the poor people if there are no poor people yeah i mean technically i've had a lot of these conversations with people it's it's not usually how it goes because like trust me I've, I've taken all the different types of positions the yeah well you know government is the is the root of all evil and xy reasons and they just they don't want to hear it i mean they're just statists at the end of the day they don't believe in markets and they never will well you really need to find something that's that's close to them and i'll give you an example like i've talked to some people like because i'm i'm really kind of um i don't know if stubborn is the word but like I, I like to find a really difficult problem you know put put things on expert mode and like i go and find the furthest left um you know almost you know communist um statist um and and you know I'm going to try to get through to him. <laughs> um, and I have, I have a communist on call that like I can message them whenever I want. But... <laughs> that might be, that might be fun. Um, but what's interesting is like, and it doesn't work every time and it doesn't work in just five minutes. Sometimes it, you know, it, it takes a longer conversation, but what's interesting is when you find out what they're really after. Right. Um, so, you know, most people don't want big government there's a problem that they want to solve and they think more government is going to solve that problem. Right. It's not like, it's not like, you know, people don't just, I mean, this is a bad example. People don't just go out and buy a car because they want a car. They buy a car because they want to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you can find out the problem first that they're trying to solve um, and, and in many cases um, it's, it's poverty or healthcare or something like that. And you start talking about, Hey, I have a solution for that problem and and the solution is less government and let me explain how this works then you'll actually get them to listen because you're not telling them hey you're wrong because government's bad you're you're like it's like forget about whether or not you need to buy a car let's talk about where you know the place you're trying to go to um and let's talk about that first and the other ways that you could get there um and so when i talk to like even communists about healthcare, and you know especially in the u.s where um canada is not so bad because your insulin's cheap but in the U.S., you know, our, our insulin, um, which you can get in Canada or Mexico for 12 bucks, costs 100 bucks in the U.S., and it's a pretty, pretty popular issue here. And when I tell them, hey, like, did you know you can get it really cheap in Mexico or Canada, and the only reason you can't get it cheap in the U.S. is because the government prohibits you from, 
from buying it across the border, then the first thing that clicks into people's heads is, well, who came up with that law? And you say, well, the FDA did. And then they're like, well, what if we got rid of the FDA? And it's, they can jump to that pretty quick because they're ultimately the, 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 the big government is not like, that's not what they want. That's just the solution they've been sold. They're really still trying to solve the problem underneath that, which is, which is the cost of healthcare. So, um, so if you can figure out and for everybody, you know, for every communist out there, you know, the problem they're trying to solve might be different. Um, but if you can find out what they're really after and then figure out like, Hey, you know, let's, what's actually causing this problem or what's another way to solve it. Um, then you can usually get there with, with some anti-statist stuff and, and that kind of, it at least starts a conversation and kind of opens their eyes. That's, that's the success that I've had in, is going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, like I've definitely had those, those conversations with, uh, the, the communist that I have and, uh, ultimately he's just a nihilist. Like he doesn't really care about any of these things. So like, maybe you're talking to more sensible communists than I am, but, uh, in terms of like, I, I've, I've shown them like actual evidence where like healthcare would be a lot cheaper. And like, like, I just want to set it straight. Like, yeah, insulin is 12 bucks in Canada, but it's because the government is, f- f- uh, like footing the bill. So like our, our taxes are ridiculously high, like ridiculous. So yeah. like, it's just, it's just subsidized. It's not actually cheap because the only way that, yeah, the only way, the only way that insulin would actually be cheap is just obviously market, like more of a market solution, but in Canada that, that doesn't actually exist. And well, it it's interesting it because like, uh, I, I know that's true for a lot of medication. Like there's definitely a lot of subsidies out there, but insulin is, I mean, insulin is ridiculously cheap to um, produce and it's very cheap in most countries, just kind of like Tylenol. Um, and Tylenol isn't subsidized. Um, I mean, it's not subsidized in the U S no, least, it's not subsidized it's really cheap. So yeah. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it actually, if it actually is, or if it's because they're allowing, um, uh, market competition there. But, you know, one of the other things too, is like how many, how many companies are allowed to sell it in Canada? Cause if there's only I, one, I yeah, think there's only monopoly. like, yeah, I think, I think there's only like three major companies and the government buys everything from them. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, but, so like, that's but, that, that but also, yeah. So, but like, uh, but cause I, cause I had this conversation with one of my, uh, my, these guys at uh, my old, my old job. Cause he was a diet, like I, t- I think like a type two diabetic. So he had, to, so he always had to have insulin or whatever it was. And uh, he was telling me like, like I, when I brought up the conversation, he's like, do you want me to like, he was actually getting like really like aggressive with me. And I'm like, no, no, like there's just a better way for you to get it. And it would be like even cheaper for you. And then like, like ultimately, like I did convince him because like, he's like not a, like he's an actual sensible, like just centrist type of person, not like some radical communist. Uh, but like ultimately, yeah, like he, like he understood what I was trying to say because like, yeah, market does bring drive the, the, the prices down of most commodities. Like, I think like the, the U S is just drowning in like this, this anti-capitalist system that they're trying to, trying to create yeah because like like i i am with you like i'm really like staunch anti-fda like get rid of that massive barrier um 
there was a quote that I po- posted last night. Um, I was actually, I was watching World War Z <laughs> and um, they, they made a really good quote. Let me try to find this real quick. Um, Cause I, I think it's, it's interesting and it relates to that. Um, Are you like people... a Milton Friedman type? Uh, me? Yeah. Um, I, I think so in a way I, I like, I kind of, I kind of got off the hero worship a long time ago. Like, no, but just in terms of like references, like, uh, or, or like uh, inspirations, I guess, like, yeah. I guess everyone has like that awakening, like someone, or is it just through like reading and I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I think I got a lot of inspiration from Ron Paul at some point. There's definitely some, some Milton Friedman, um, like, I think I've also um, I've also read a lot from you know from everybody where it's just kind of like yeah I'm not so hot on their their view on this yeah um, yeah, yeah. yeah so so it's interesting but so this quote was most people don't believe something can happen until it already has that's not stupidity or weakness that's just human nature um, and it's interesting because like I think that's kind of like the same thing right like you're you're trying to tell somebody like hey a free market would reduce the price of something and you know and you'll hear this argument a lot oh yeah and what country has that ever worked right (laughs) and it's like i heard it tonight actually (laughs) (laughs) it's like you can't like if you can't point to an actual example then they won't believe it and when you do like they'll be like oh well that's different that's that's not what you're talking about that's that's different because you know they they still have socialism there there's still you know the the government the government like you know price fixes and that's why things are cheap they'll 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 try to figure out some reason why it's not um why it's not that so it's it's yeah it's it's always interesting yeah that's a that's a great quote um yeah it was a weird place to find it too but <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to take a serious look at, uh, like you, you, you gave me hope, man. I swear to God, you really gave me hope. Cause I am, I am was, dead, dead when, serious about avoiding taxes. <laughs> when, when I was doing like a lot of this research, um, like into, so I kind of went down this rabbit hole for a while, um, on, on these people called sovereign citizens, which you know, like I'll tell you, if you ever go in that direction, don't trust everything that they say. There's there's a lot of truth, but there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, falsehoods and outright lies. And, and like some of it's just I mean, it is kind of a I don't know, it, it, take it with a grain of salt, everything that they say. Um, but when I was going down that path, I do remember seeing like a, like, you know, one of the one of the key concepts that they had was uh, was property rights and how you know it's it's unconstitutional for them to charge a property tax and you can keep your property and all this other stuff. Um, and I remember specifically seeing some examples in Canada where people were doing that. They basically they had their land, and when the government would come by and say, "Hey, we noticed you were building something there. You need a permit for it, and you need an inspection, and and can we come on your land?" They would basically tell them, no, fuck off. We're not going to allow you here. You know, you're trespassing and all this other stuff. And we're not going to pay tax on, on the property. And there was some, you know, some legal notices they gave to the government and some processes they did. But at the end of the day, they they kept their land. Um, and of course, you know, I don't know, the last time 
the last time I followed up on that was what 20 years ago. So who knows? Maybe they lost it since then. But um, uh, you know, it, it it seemed to be pretty sound, and the government seemed to leave them alone after a while. So, um, and, and that was music in Canada. Music to my ears. Music so, to my ears. Yeah. The, so that stuff's definitely out there, but you really need to like double check everything no no for sure for sure especially like if i'm dealing with the government i'm not trying to go to jail yeah for... <laughs> and, and you know and, and you know you can ask the government right like you can you can go ask them questions that doesn't mean they're always going to give you a truthful answer but it's always interesting to see how they react um also like for example i went to nevada um and i was I was trying to get a driver's license in Nevada because I wanted, you know, clean slate, new state. I wanted to be able to say, I don't actually have a contract with you. You don't have my social security number and I want to get a driver's license here. Um, but I don't want to give you my social security number because um, that's ultimately, you know, that's that's how they link your information together. That's how they know there's there's not another Dan Berman with the same birth date somewhere else. Um, it's, you know, the, the social security number is unique for everyone. Um, so I went there and I had this, I had this printout of a federal regulation that says, um, that says no person can be denied a privilege of the government for refusing to give their social security number. And I had this printed out on a paper and it had the, you know, the, the, the code number and everything else for the regulation. Um, and I sat down at the DMV office and I talked to the clerk and I was really nice and she was really nice. You know, we were just having a nice little conversation. I was like, look. I found this this law. I thought it was a law. It turns out it's a regulation. I didn't know the difference at the time. Um, and it says that you can't deny me a driver's license if I don't want to give a social security number. And she gave me the form and it, there was a place to put in the social security number. And it said right there on the form, if you have ever had a social security number, what is it? So there was actually an opportunity for me to say I never had one and leave it blank. And that actually would have worked. Um, but she kept asking, like, but but you you have one, so I think you have to put it in there. And I was like, but this law says I don't have to. And she says, okay, let me go talk to my my supervisor, right? Now her supervisor's probably been working there longer, and she's probably seen all kinds of crazy stuff. And she looked like she was in a good mood until this this clerk showed her the paper that I brought in with this regulation. Then she just got <laughs> really pissed off, and and she was like, she was like, no, 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 no. And, um, you know, long story short, I left, they didn't, they didn't give me one. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to see that, that transaction, uh, kind of happen that way. Um, like how so personally took yeah, it. Yeah. Like why, why would you get so upset about that? Right. Like that's, that's kind of weird. Like why? Why wouldn't you just laugh and say, what? That's crazy. Yeah, talk. Exactly. Of course you have like to they're emotionally invested in like you getting a license. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Don't waste my time with that shit. Um, it, it, it is really strange. And it's also, you know, um, I, I, I tried to pull the, um, you know, I don't have a contract with the city. And so therefore I don't have to pay this, this ticket and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, I refused to see the, the fake judge and I went to go see a real judge and we had a conversation back and forth for a good half an hour. And so so what this was, was he was asking me to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty for like a basic traffic violation. 
And I said, I'm not going to enter a plea because you have no jurisdiction. And um, so what happened was, you know, we just we just went back and forth. And, and I said, I don't have a contract with you. You have no jurisdiction. And he started asking me these questions. And he's like, but weren't you on weren't you on a, a public road in the city? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, so so why wouldn't the city have jurisdiction over you? He wasn't saying the city has jurisdiction over you. He was saying, why wouldn't they? And like, I, again, like this is, you know, you can't ask the government for help. And, and a lot of people you do ask, you know, you're going to get a lot of good and bad information. So I'm, you know, I don't know the right answers to say to these things. Um, but we kind of went back and forth in a circle. And like, it was interesting that at the very end, he kept asking questions and, and uh, like, basically he got me into a place where I was thinking I'm going to be here for the next 50 years going back and forth with this guy, unless I just enter a plea. <laughs> um, and so I just entered a plea, which was stupid because like, really, I think he was just holding out. And if I would have held out long enough, he would have just dismissed the case. Cause but aren't, like, aren't you, wait, this is what a judge or uh, yeah, a this police officer? This is with the judge. Oh the my judge. God, that is horrible. It, it's weird, right? But like, if you I have no jurisdiction, experience with the judge. if he has no jurisdiction, well, like, say, if, yeah, that's, that's, that's a hell of a, I have an experience with a judge that's really funny. Yeah, what's your story? Uh, I actually got a parking ticket in a city that didn't exist because I was actually parked in the city of Milwaukee, but then I got a, a, a ticket from a Wauwatosa police officer and then when I actually went to court and the judge asked, he asked the bailiff, is that Wauwatosa? And the bailiff was like, yes, it is, judge. And the judge was like, well, you have to pay the fine. I said, um, no, because you can. And I actually had to call my, what was her? Your alderman. Yeah, my, yeah, our local alderman. And, and he called the police department and said, no, this is not your jurisdictional lines. He is clearly in the city of Milwaukee because obviously I'm his representative by his address. And it's kind of funny because how many other tickets did I get? I get for uh, uh, license revoked. And then I also got failure to have insurance when we went and picked up your mother in Minnesota. And and that's because the cruise control didn't work and the state patrolman said, oh, that's suspicious. Well, it's a 1995 lady. I'm sorry, but... Sometimes that motor doesn't quite click when it needs to lock in that cable because maybe that cable's a little worn out. Right. But all that shit was dropped, though, because that ticket... That exactly, because and when I actually wanted to go to court, they were like, mm, sorry, sir, but uh, it's, it's, it's all been dropped to just air their ass out in open court because that's what I, exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that happen a lot, actually. Um... Yeah, like the, the, a thirty dollar parking t- ticket, Dan. Thirty dollar parking ticket turned into like what was it like seven hundred dollars in fines, and then fucking driving without it, registration because they revoke your registration, they revoke yeah. your license. It's like fuck you, people, and all because my cruise yeah. control didn't work because I was trying to be polite and let the state patrolman go by in the snowstorm, and I'm driving a rear wheel drive vehicle. They were like, oh well. well you're, you you look suspicious. And I shut my car off and they were like, no, keep it running. You got babies in the back. I'm like, well, I don't want okay. any problems here, people. Right. 
this is this is uh this is a funny story um uh, i had a friend who was a lawyer and he actually had a um he had a case uh it was mostly like like drug and alcohol charges so you know police they profile and then they pull people over and he asked this cop what did you stop him for and he says well he was driving the speed limit and that was suspicious so yeah okay you're driving slow okay i could see that's suspicious maybe he's high maybe he's stoned right he's driving too fast oh he's breaking the law that's suspicious right but now you're driving the speed limit and that's suspicious why is that suspicious well because this is the officer's explanation normally in that area people speed so the fact that he was driving the speed limit was suspicion enough to stop him and then they gave him ridiculous then they gave him a dui charge ridiculous yeah that's that's insane the judge actually um, said to me what it's a no fine well it's a no point fine why wouldn't you just pay the fine i said judge you're fucking wrong dude you're you're just playing out wrong and your bailiff's a fucking idiot the bailiff didn't like that but if you but, want to pull the transcripts but, go right ahead you can look at the open a case it's probably from like 2000 and uh i think like 12 or 13. think about that though think think about just that very statement it's just a fine. Why wouldn't you just pay the fine? Well, if it's just a fine and I have to pay the fine, why wouldn't he just order you to pay the fine? Unless there's some degree of consent that you need to you need to enter into this process with this court over over something, you know, basically to create a contra contract with them, which, by the way, every time you get stopped and they they, you know, they make you sign that little ticket. You're signing a contract like that's the promise to appear where if you don't appear, you now have a contract with them that they can say, oh, you broke the contract. We can we can what's, escalate things. What's really funny, Dan, is that when you're a Hispanic individual that gets a ticket that's unjust from uh, Wauwatosa, which is predominantly a white controlled area versus Milwaukee, which is predominantly a. Uh, interracial controlled area with bad demographics as far as socioeconomic backgrounds and shit like that. Uh, it's funny when you call the alderman who was some young kid and he's like, oh, now I get this. And then you get the lieutenant back on the phone telling you that your case is completely dropped because it, it, it's just funny how you can sick the government on itself and there's control factors. But I, I want to get away from these identity factors that make that applicable because it should just be by the application of what's right and wrong versus that I can say, well, because I'm Hispanic and uh, this white guy wrote a ticket against me. Hey, black alderman, please uh, get after this because I know I'm right because I'm educated and I know my rights. You know what I'm saying, man? But when you use that system to get shit done, it gets shit done. And when you use the just system, which would be just a formal complaint versus a formality of procedure, it, it, it doesn't get done. You understand? It, 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 it's, it, it's this jackass shit that we got to deal with in, in government you know, to say, hey, 
this is good and bad. This this reminds me of like um, so I don't know if you follow this um, what's her name Kim Kardashian um, when Trump was president she went she met with Trump she got somebody pardoned um, who was um, I I think they were on were they on death row I don't remember um, it, it, maybe it was a drug charge or something but she got somebody pardoned on some charge who who should have been pardoned um, but then she says I'm gonna go and I'm gonna become a lawyer. And I'm like, I'm sure most of like, I'm sure the guy who you got pardoned already had a lawyer and that didn't prove to be very successful. You could do much more damage to the system. You could, you could create a lot more justice for people if you continue to do what you already did, which is really just a form of activism as a celebrity, than to get your, your law license and try to do it in the courtroom, because that's, the, the courtrooms are just screwed. Like you have no power there. Dan, I got a example for that. As far as veterans are concerned, I knew a guy named Kevin Cavanaugh. He's a part of the purple heart organization. He got, uh, uh, a part of the treasury of that organization. And he decided that he was just going to start giving funds directly to veterans that were actually living in domiciliaries on, uh, uh, the Milwaukee VA grounds. And then he got caught up on a political scandal with uh, Scott Walker when he was trying to run for governor. Do you remember this story or do you not know all of it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. But think of that. Uh, a, a treasury director of an organization that receives funds directly from citizens for the veterans decided that he was going to give funds for the veterans. But then he committed so many criminal acts that he actually died in jail. Wow. But it was justified just because everybody hated Scott Walker also. Huh. That's that's interesting. Um Yeah, it's it's um I mean, I've got a friend <laughs> I've got a friend who is a lawyer who was really good at his job and he got he got lots and lots of cases dismissed on, you know, big drug charges, um, you know, that sort of thing. And so, I mean, this was like, this was an awesome guy. I mean, this is this guy, he goes to church every weekend. He, he volunteers, he helps out, even though, you know, he was, he was worth a million bucks and really didn't need to. Um, Cause he was, he was a great lawyer and he was getting, he was so effective against the drug war that they basically set him up. Um, they, they, they introduced him to a snitch who worked for the feds. Um, the snitch went and committed a bunch of crimes, which weren't even really crimes, um, basically offering to bribe judges, but not actually bribing the judges. Um, my friend tried to turn the snitch over to the feds, but the feds were like, he's one of us, what are you trying to do? And my friend ends up going to prison. Um, did nothing wrong, harmed nobody, helped a lot of people not get into prison. Um, and, and, and yeah, they just, they just came back around and they were like, yeah, we can't have that. We need, we need to keep these prisons full. Um, yeah, it's the same up. story, Dan. It's the same story. It's, I mean, there's, there was another guy. Um, uh, I think there was a guy in, why can't I think of his name? I want to say it was in Alaska and something similar happened. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. They, they they have the power, and it's it's so outrageous that you know a jury's willing to believe anything the government says. I mean, they can have no evidence, and they can put you in front of a jury, and they can convict you um, because the jury's just gullible and they'll believe whatever the government says. It's that's that's really pretty scary. Well, and my example is a guy that actually came up to to me in the smoke pit at the VA and says, Justin, you need anything? I'm like, I, I think actually my situation's all right, Kevin. I'm good to go. And then he's smoking his cigarette, you know, and he's waddling back and forth. You know, he's like, you know, Justin, I've been shot three times for this government and they really haven't done shit for me. But if you ever need anything right now, and he's like, he's kind of like winking to me like right now. Justin, if you need anything, just let me know. I'll, I, I'll get it done. And for that individual to, to, to die in jail is kind of like uh, a nuance to me of a, a personal situation that's just like, mm, I don't think I can trust these individuals that think they have a hierarchy over other human beings. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true that they believe that. Um... We had, um, well, I guess I, <laughs> I'm thinking of all the directions I could take this conversation, but um, I guess I should probably try to um, bring it back around to the um, to the traffic stuff. Um, so let me, I guess, let me go, um, let me reset a little bit. And um, so the reason I started this room up was um, yesterday I was working on my book called taxation is theft big surprise if, if for anyone who doesn't know me um uh and um i'm working on a section where i'm talking about all the traffic laws and everything else and i actually started by um um looking up the definitions in all the different states um because it's it's my understanding of the law the conclusion that i came to in texas that you don't need a driver's license to use a car on a public highway um and I know all the states are different, their laws are all different, but I wanted to compare them to see, is this true in all states? Is Texas kind of an exception? Um, because, you know, there's there's a lot of people in Texas and there's a lot of people in California. And, and I've seen, you know, I've, I've heard the same arguments in California, but I haven't heard the same arguments from many other states because, you know, maybe they got smaller population. Nobody ever really got wind of it. Nobody cared to look into it. Maybe they're you know, their their license and registration fees aren't that high um, in some states where nobody even really cared. They just they just pay it and like, yeah, whatever. Like even if even if like I don't want to have to deal with that, it's not worth saving, you know, 25 bucks every year. Um, you know, maybe that's the mentality people have. But it was interesting to me because I really wanted to see, you know, is this is this um, a right that's that transcends across all states and so i started looking into all these different um definitions that that all the states use for all the different traffic laws and and found some really interesting things so that's what i was talking about earlier with um how they all define motor vehicle or vehicle um transportation they all say that they have to do with transportation um and yet none of the states um except for florida that i found so far define what transportation is um but when you when you look up the legal definition, which references all sorts of court cases, um, transportation is commerce, um, which is moving something for hire. 
uh, whether it's a taxi cab or a bus, uh, like a Greyhound bus or, um, you know, something like that. That's all, that's all transportation, a truck that, that moves vegetables from, you know, one place to another. Um, all this stuff is, is transportation, but taking your kids to school is not. Um, driving back and forth to your job is not. Um, and, and it's a really important distinction because, you know, we're all, we're all conditioned to believe that, you know, driving is a privilege, not a right, and you have to have your license and, and you know, all this kind of stuff that they tell us over and over again. Um, and um, it's, it's just really interesting to see how they define all this stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where, where we started with this, um, um, is, let me just ask this, is there anybody else in here who does not drive with a license at all? If, uh, if you're down at the bottom, if you want to, if you want to talk, raise your hand, um, I'll bring you on up. Um, I know that we're we're a rare uh breed of people so <laughs> i don't expect everybody to um to all jump at once dan one of one of the things i wanted to bring up was the epa and the actual department of transportation when it comes to uh transporting goods and services and epa tier 5 and how it has actually killed uh, the owner operator when it comes to the Department of Transportation with class A trucks and um, uh, electronic logs and I can go on and on and on with that and what uh, insurance companies call a thermal event as far as what happens in the secondary catalyst reduction system as far as what the EPA implies is a good system to get rid of emissions and so on and so forth you know. Uh, and also what goes on with HVAC systems as far as refrigerants and how it's all bullshit. Um, that's what I wanted to touch on, but. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you'll, I guess if you hang out a lot with a lot of, uh, boring people who talk about the law and constitution enough, you'll hear, you'll hear the commerce clause plenty of times. Um, and, and basically it says that, you know, the, the federal government has the right to regulate commerce among the states. Um, and that's really used as an excuse for a lot of things. In fact, I've, I've heard, and I haven't confirmed this myself, but like um, so some of the lawyers that I've talked to basically say that it, there's nothing in the constitution that says they can, they can prohibit cannabis, um, but that they've used the, um, the commerce clause to say, well, we can regulate commerce, which means you know, you, you can't, you can't grow certain plants because, you know, if you're, if you're growing those plants, you're probably using water from another state or, you know, like, like they, they really kind of take things and stretch them out like that. Um, but it really all comes down to commerce. And so if you're not engaged in commerce, those, those rules don't usually apply. Um, but it would be interesting to see how those rules apply so so um one of the uh let's see um i want to see dan i thought of something really funny sorry to throw it off track but um yeah. you know josh it's josh from alaska i uh thought of a really funny argument is against the commerce clause 
Um, fuck, what was it? I was gonna say is you just said something about regarding the commerce clause. I'm trying to remember what specifically, like how it applies or something. Um, that they shit. apply it extremely broadly to to things that aren't really commerce, just because they say you got your water from somewhere else. Well, what about even commercial regulations? Because we're talking about commerce, so it's commercial regulations. So when you talk about the Department of Transportation, when it comes to commercial regulations for class six, seven, and eight trucks, you know, you have to meet federal guidelines as far as your safety inspection, which includes your seatbelts, your brakes, your tires, your rims, your fasteners, so on and so forth. Why do... uh uh, qu uh, whether it be your normal uh, uh, regular old truck stop or your even your most advanced dealer t uh, dealership in the country, put the $12 an hour guy on it because they're going to miss almost everything. That's why. So I run into it all the time where you have individuals that come into the shop that have gotten by by the bare minimum and they can't handle the fact that their equipment is in such disarray that the cost that they normally project in to their finances is nowhere near what it actually should be. I've asked this question before for anybody that owns a normal automobile. Do you ever read the owner's manual to know the actual intervals in which every portion of your vehicle is supposed to be serviced? And I have always been answered, no, I've never read it. Right. Yeah. Um. So really what I was going to say something along the lines of is your mom's doing commerce. Like if someone tried to use that stupid, like, like tried to use that as a def, like you, you could use that as a defense argument just because it's like basically like that's how audacious this, their, you know, uh, how far they stretch it out and it's like you know it, it it'd be like i i don't know i just thought it was funny just being like that's literally how it is it's like what just because we're doing commerce all this i i you know that's as as someone who studied con law the co commerce clause is one of the things that drove me fucking nuts just because right. you know as an anarchist well, I mean, i'm like this gives the government like the legislature all the powers and it drives me absolutely batshit um I, I mean yeah it's it's a good point right like like if um you know you you have a, a right to free speech and free speech can't be regulated right but commerce can be regulated so if you're going to pay somebody to print flyers for you is that free speech or is that commerce is it a protected right or is it something that can now be regulated and taxed um and you know the government <laughs> of course would say oh well you the, the free speech part means you can tell them to print whatever you want on the flyer but the fact that you're paying them to print the flyer you still gotta pay taxes on it. that's still commerce um but dan is commercial entities like the department of transportation which falls under the federal government from the commercial motor vehicle safety administration should that government entity exist because there are so many corners that are cut to save money when transporting goods and services um, that 
we've seen that even though it is by a private entity or it's by a commercial entity that they still cut corners that contradict safety. So I get, so let me see if I can rephrase the question. You're asking, should they exist if they have a job to do and they're not doing it? Is, should that, the government protect the rights of other individuals on the road when the individual that's operating that piece of equipment know it is in disarray as far as the safety of other individuals on that road? So it's in protecting the in protecting the rights of the uh, family that's in a, a a small sedan when you have an eighty thousand pound vehicle rolling down the road that you know is can't stop because its brakes are bad, let's say. So right. should the government institute regulation, which they have done through the Department of Transportation and the Commercial Motor Vehicle Safety Administration, to say that your vehicle has to meet this standard to be on the road? Is that a violation of their constitutional rights or is it a, is, is it a protection? That's what I'm getting at. And so that government entity to... And this is talking about commercial, which means commerce, you know, entities that if I'm if I'm carrying 96,000 pounds of, uh, let's say, sweet potatoes, the raw material that comes straight out of that this guy just pulled out of a farm. But he doesn't have brakes to stop that vehicle and he hasn't had the maintenance done on his Jake brakes to make sure that his backup doesn't even work. You understand? So let, me, let, let me ask you this question. Does it matter what he's hauling? Would it be different if it was it was an equally sized truck with an equally sized load, but it wasn't sweet potatoes? It was somebody who had a container home on the back of their truck. They, that was their it, home. It, it, it doesn't matter to me because it, the weight is what matters in physics. Right. So, so what the government would say is we're regulating it because we have a right to because it's commerce but if it's somebody pulling their own house across the highway that's not commerce and therefore that argument doesn't hold now whether or not this is a different point whether or not if somebody has something that's big and dangerous on a public highway should the government be able to regulate it and make sure that it's safe is a different question but so this so, is so the counter argument I have, Dan, is because an RV, a recreational vehicle, doesn't have to apply to any of that. And a 95-year-old gentleman who doesn't have an air brake endorsement that has, let's say, a trailer of 5,000 pounds behind him, or let's say he has a 2,500-pound vehicle behind him in an RV that's, let's say, it's 53 feet long, and most of them are smaller than that, but let's say he's got a big motherfucker and he's got a car behind it that he's hauling. He does not have to uh, apply to any of those regulations. He doesn't have to have an air brake endorsement. He doesn't have to have a CDL to operate a vehicle of that size. So that's what I'm talking about is that these are the nuances that are in the regulations and which is a part of my, th this is what I know about. Um, so it, it, it's kind of funny how that a person that may not even be uh, uh, to the best physical aspects of even operating a regular motor vehicle, let alone a, a giant motor vehicle with a load behind it, they don't have to apply themselves to the same regulations as some as somebody that actually does transport commerce.
Right. So so basically what they're attempting to do and, and so there's there's a couple things going on here. One is that there's a claim that they're making the place that they're making the roads safer um by quote unquote regulating commerce. Um when in reality there's still plenty of people that those rules aren't going to apply to. Um and so it's not really effectively solving the problem. What it is doing is it is regulating commerce in a way that they are going to generate revenue. And this is this is really important because like and, and this is, you know, I, uh, there's a couple questions, right? One question is, should they do things to make things safer? And is the way, you know, are they do they even care to make things safer? Is what they're doing making things safer? Um, and I would say they don't even really care to make things safer because these are the type of people who create policies where um, you have police cars driving around that are quote unquote marked cars, but they're like black lettering on a black car with their emergency lights hidden inside of tinted windows. And they call that a marked car. And the reason they do that is because they don't want people to see them and slow down. They want people to speed and get caught so they can collect money. They want people to do the thing that they say is dangerous so they can extract money out of people. And that's the same mentality that they have. So a lot of this, this commerce and regulations and, and like, yeah, a lot of it's there. It's great. Everybody should take care of their car and everybody should have brakes. And like, it, it, we should never be in a situation where somebody's driving without brakes and, and a potential danger to somebody else. But I don't believe that is why most of these laws are there. I believe they are there. The, the people who wrote those laws cared more about extracting revenue because these are people who are not, I mean, you know, especially when you talk about congressmen and senators flying on private jets everywhere and, and everything else they're not worried about what's going on on a highway in, in you know rural montana they're not driving next to trucks to even worry about this kind of stuff um what they are worried about is how can we generate more revenue um and so you know and, and yeah arguably there are some people who say okay yeah let's no let's pass some rules to, to you know to, to make things safer but could that be done in a different way that doesn't require putting a gun in someone's face and saying, you know, do it or else we're going to take your money, we're going to take your car, your property, all these other things. Is there a better way that you can you can get people to do that? And we've seen like perfect examples of that, right? Like like the the um there have been campaigns, public service announcement announcement campaigns to educate people to um to do things like wear their seatbelt, right? Um this this gets people to think, hey, I would be safer if I would wear my seatbelt. They could do things like, you know, the 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 what is it, red asphalt, right? The the video that that you know you watch when you're learning how to drive to like <laughs> traumatize you and make you realize like, hey, driving a car is dangerous. Um, there's things like that they could do, but they're not focused on that. They're focused on what can we do to generate revenue, like the texting while driving, right? They 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 banned texting while driving, um, and and this used to not be such a big problem back when we had the the phones with the individual buttons. You could actually, you know, it was a small number of buttons. You could type different codes into it, and you could actually text without even looking at your phone. Um, but once it became smartphones, people would actually they'd hold them up in front of their steering wheel and they they'd type with two thumbs and they'd still have visibility on the road in front of them. Now I'm not saying that's perfectly safe and everyone should be doing that, but it wasn't creating a whole lot of problems. Um, it wasn't creating lots and lots of accidents. But when they banned that, what happened was people now without being able to feel the buttons, 
were texting, holding the phone to their side and so that they wouldn't get caught by the police. And when they were doing that, they had to, of course, look down every once in a while and take their eyes off the road. And that's when we started seeing accidents from texting and driving. Like that's when we really started to see them spike. So it was the, the laws that quote unquote were for safety when the reality was they were for revenue um, that, you know, that, that um, actually made things less safe. And whenever they find out about this, whenever they learn that their revenue schemes are actually making things less safe, they never back down. Those, those laws never get repealed. They never change. They never do anything else. And here's, here's another really good example too. Um, uh, the, the red light cameras. So um, basically the argument is if we put red light cameras at intersections, then people are going to slow down and there's going to be fewer accidents. Um, but here's the thing. Um, people don't slow down. They speed up because they think like they, they have to make it through the intersection um, and, and not get their picture taken. So for some reason, they, they think they need to speed up. Accidents actually increase when they install those cameras. And what's what's really, really interesting is they see that you, you can look at different studies that say the the um, the incidence of accidents at red lights happen within the first one or two seconds after the light turns red, which means you could eliminate most red light accidents if instead of putting up cameras, you just made it when one light turns red, you wait for two seconds before the other light turns green. And that would that would mean anybody who's running the red light would have a little bit of time to clear the intersection and that would eliminate most of the accidents. But they don't want to do that. They want to keep their cameras up and they want to generate revenue and they want to put police at those at those intersections and they want them to hide in you know the, the little speed trap sections where they can't be seen because they don't want people to say, oh, there's a cop there. I shouldn't risk this. I might get a ticket. They want people to commit these quote unquote crimes so that they can extract revenue. And it's it's a lot of money that they're getting out of people with this stuff. Actually, you say when you're talking about the whole time thing, that actually gives them more time to actually give them to extract, you know, there's more of a chance that they'll run the red light if they do so and program them to, so that, you know, oh, look, this guy actually ran the red light, but he's still got time um, to get across and not cause an accident. So therefore we can still pull him over and you know, it's more of, you know, public safety, they are able to extract the revenue without risking public safety. Um, because that's kind of what's happened up here in Alaska is that I already know that when I'm my, the way I drive, I like, I can watch, you know, other, other lanes and all the other things. It's, it's about two seconds between when the, uh, you know, red their their lights turn red and ours turn green so like you right. like you said it's more of they've put it in there for public you know the public transport the, the the engineering of the actual lights they've put it in there to said increase public safety but also give them time to actually more more likelihood that someone could uh run a red light get through with it and then you know, then it gives a chance for the cop to pull them over. But yeah, I mean, like, there's there's so many different ways they could approach that. There's um, there's uh, 
so there are regulations for the government, believe it or not. Um, and so there, there are regulations that say when you put up a traffic light, depending on the speed limit of the street, this is how long the light has to be yellow before it turns red. And what's interesting is a lot of cities that put the red light cameras up have been caught where they actually shorten the yellow light um, under the regulated um, time because they know like, you know, you're driving in your head, you're like, oh, the light turned yellow. I've got plenty of time to make it. But then, oh, wait a minute, that yellow light was a second shorter than it should have been. And now you're running the red light and potentially causing an accident. Um, but why was the regulation and, originally instituted, though, Dan, is it, it was because they did a study on uh, how long of a breaking distance you can have in the most inclement weather to approach that light. And then the city decided, oh, well, we can do this to actually incur more revenue. Exactly. And that, that's another great point, too. I mean, so there's so many different factors that go into that, right? You have, okay, this is this is for optimal weather. Well, when it starts raining, do they make the yellow lights longer or do they leave them the same? Um, when uh, uh, do they account for the fact that people have um, reaction time and everything else? I'm sure there's a little bit. Of, they, they probably just take like a single base number and, and just say it's always going to be that when for some people, some people have shorter reaction times those people are going to be the ones who are more likely to get into an accident. So do they account for the fact that some people have lower reaction times and say, we're going to make the light a little bit lower for those people? Or do they just say, screw those people, they're going to get into accidents. Um, it, it's, and um, there's, there's, I want to mention this guy, um, Stephen Ruth, that he, he got the nickname, the red light Robin Hood, because he was actually, I think it was, it was either New Jersey or New York. He was going around um, disabling the red light cameras, like actually like breaking them open and then cutting the wires so that they wouldn't function because this, uh, the city that he was in was literally, they, they were shortening the yellow lights. They were breaking all the rules. They, they're supposed to have a city engineer sign off on the cameras and say that, you know, everything's up to regulation and everything else. And they, they were not, they were, they were running the cameras anyway. Um, he went to the courts with this. He tried to sue the city. He did all this stuff and, and nobody cared. And the city continued to do this. And the worst part about this is when, while they were doing all this, all of the intersections where they put these lights, the number of accidents kept increasing and people were dying. Pedestrians were getting hit by cars and none of them cared. All they cared about was their, their, their red night, red light revenue stream. And it's like, it's like, where's where's the humanity in this system? Like, how can anybody believe that this system is supposed to be here to um, help people be safer when it's literally killing people? But it's a business, Dan. It's another part of business. And the uh, yeah. only people that should run government are businessmen, right? Well, well you could eliminate so many things. You could. I was being sarcastic, by the way. Yeah, you could eliminate so many deaths by banning left turns for example does that mean that it should be done you know there, there's so many variables to all of this but it's very obvious the places where it's a revenue stream there's no doubt
look at insurance companies when it comes to red vehicles. Now, de de depending on how red the vehicle is, depending on if the individual behind the wheel is colorblind or anything, they've taken actual data to say that that vehicle is the most accident-prone vehicle. It's also one of the most popular vehicles ever sold, just by its color. What um, I want to see what the difference huh. is in shades of red. Things to like purple and kind of orange. Like I, I wonder if there's any correlation in shade. If it's actually a shade of red, or if it has to be just like typical red, because I'm I'm curious. It's on more of a blackish kind of maroon color, where it kind of fades depending on what kind of light hits. Okay, my car's plain maroon, like the old. You know how they used to have them in the early 2000s, like. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like did the paints didn't have all that sheer shine like they like they do now. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. They yeah, that one specifically. That's that's the color I want of uh, of if I ever had a sports car. That's exactly the color I want. The one you talked about, uh, Justin, saying is in kind of like it could shift to black. If but, then, but Joshua, on a serious note, there's so many studies that the National Traffic Highway Safety Administration has done for shades of color, speeds, reaction times, uh, different impairments. I mean, um, when Dan's talking about the timing of the lights, uh, he's, he's probably almost too correct on how they manipulate the data from which they receive from the National Traffic Administration for safety and then implementing actual laws and how to uh, uh, try and mitigate those quote unquote numbers, but they actually DJ. increase and increase and increase and increase. Yeah, I mean, to that point, there was um, there was an intersection that I saw um, where it was kind of weird like so normally you have like two two streets crossing two bi-directional streets crossing each other and there was one that was almost kind of like five streets so instead of four a four-way cross it's like a five-way cross and um but two of them were nearly parallel and it, it they had this weird arrangement of lights but they also had a lot of these signs and these signs were really confusing and and the people in that area like even the people who lived there were were confused by it of course like anybody who's not from there is going to be really confused by it um and it's like they they started putting red light traffic lights on that intersection as if that was going to solve the problem and it just made things worse and it's like they never they never stopped to think well, maybe if we make the signage a little bit clearer about which way you're supposed to go, or even draw lines across the intersection, like you know, as you're as you're driving through, follow the line. Um, you know, these types of things, like they, they didn't even consider any of that. They were just like, yeah, let, let's just put up the red light cameras. Um, and, and you know, and, and then when people start getting killed even more, it's like it's like, yeah, well, who cares? Um, it, it's really it's really tragic. Well, Dan, I don't know if you know about the airbag uh, fiasco that happened, but there's probably like two or three main suppliers in the entire world of um, air supplement uh, restraint systems or airbags and um, or secondary uh, supplement restraint systems. And when you talk about shrapnel actually hitting somebody with a propellant, 
that is probably moving at like 200 miles an hour when you talk about the small little area that it's coming from. Now, there's been billions of dollars uh, from this corporation um, spent on uh, liabilities and stuff like that and recalls. Um, but it was something that was implemented by government that said that it had to be in every vehicle. And then a company had to produce this product in an abundance. And then the, the, the actual product became the, <laughs> the actual implement, the implementation of death versus the actual accident in which it was actually supposed to save somebody's life. Have you seen those? Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I mean, you know, how long was it before they realized like, oh, uh, we should put a sign on the back that says, you know, don't put your baby in the front seat because the airbag is going to kill it. Um, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that. And um, uh, what was I going to say about that, too? The. Um, I don't remember. It'll come back to me. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. And the same thing with seatbelts. I mean, they stress over how important seatbelts are um, when there are plenty of, you know, and I don't want to say, you know, run around, don't wear your seatbelt. But there are plenty of incidences where somebody's life was saved because they weren't wearing their seatbelt or would have been saved if they weren't wearing their seatbelt um, just because of the type of crash. But this this, you know, this comes down to like the you know, a statistics argument. Yeah, sure. You might statistically be safer, but it's not a guarantee um, that if you're wearing your seatbelt that, you know, your, your life is going to be saved. Um, but, you know, of, of course, with that, too, it's like, you know, how many people hop in their car and they're like, oh, I'm just driving two blocks. I don't need to put it on. Um, and then nothing bad happens, but they get stopped by the police. And what do the police do? They don't tell them, hey, you're being unsafe, put your seatbelt on. They say, hey, give us money. <laughs> um, as if like, you know, oh, well, if you're punishing me, like, oh, that's, yeah, that'll teach me. I'll wear my seatbelt from now on. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, and this is somebody who probably most of the time wears their seatbelt. They were just not wearing it for this one, you know, short drive. Um, it's yeah it's 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 all about that um but okay so this is this is um th oh this is what i was gonna say so um back when when i went to to driver's ed right they already had airbags but they weren't in all the cars yet because there were still a lot of older cars on the road um and they always taught us drive with your hands at 10 and 2 always keep two hands on the wheel 10 and 2 10 and 2 10 and 2 right well um, I learned maybe 10 years ago that they have changed that now to like four and eight or something like that. And the reason for that is if you have your hands at 10 and two and the airbag goes off, you're basically going to break your arms and they're going to go smashing into your face. And so you're supposed to hold your hands at the bottom of the wheel um, to the sides so that if you crash into anything, there's no obstruction between your face and the airbag and, and it's going to be safer. But here's the thing. How many people in this room know that versus how many people in this room were taught to drive at 10 and 2 and that's how you still drive? There was never any public service announcement saying, hey, new information. Yes, there was. There was I don't remember seeing any. What's that? I said, yes, there was. Really? Yeah, nobody caught it, though, because I think it was back in 1999 
there is a campaign ad that that actually addressed this actual situation where they would move the uh, 10 and 2 down so that you would accommodate the new steering wheel. I, I, I think that it was a campaign that didn't have a mu- much money behind it, but they actually did address it. Interesting. I'm gonna, I am gonna. want to go see if I can find the, um, the videos from that. But yeah, versus, you know, if, if they could come up with a law about it, um, I'm sure they would have spent some, some money advertising that so they could make sure because this is actually one of the things about like the law, right? There, there is, um, there is a requirement that when they pass a law, they do have to publicize it. Um, and how much they have to publicize it is always different. But you know, the idea comes from you know hundreds of years ago when a king would just say, "Hey, I changed the law," and then go around and start enforcing it on people, and they had no idea that the law had changed. Um, and so of course they're you know they're they're not following it. They don't even know this law exists. So this this kind of goes back to this idea that. When that happens, you have to publicize that a law has changed, and um, so you'll see a lot of that, right? You see, you see like PSAs and commercials and stuff saying effective April first, this is going to happen, and this is the new law, right? Um, and and we saw the same thing when it was like, you know, don't text and drive, effective April, and we you've been warned, don't text and drive, um, and, and they'll do that same kind of thing over and over again, but nobody ever really passed a law saying you can't drive 10 and two anymore. <laughs> Maybe if they did, then they would have poured a bunch of money into, into making that um, public knowledge. Who knows? I find uh, traffic laws really interesting. Uh, I've had an opportunity to live in like several different countries, some with absolutely no traffic laws or no enforcement of traffic laws and other ones with like strict enforcement. I find, um, like for instance, when I lived in Vietnam, there was almost like an organized chaos to uh, commuting by motorbike there, where you know everyone was very aware of their surroundings and they're very, um, I guess, like individualistic in their like well-being and their personal safety. So they they actually didn't drive very fast there, but it did seem very chaotic, and you kind of had to like make your own way. Like you couldn't wait for. I mean, there were no red lights, <laughs> but you couldn't wait. You know, for someone to give you a turn, you just kind of had to do things and everyone just made room for each other. And then whenever I live in countries like right now, for instance, I'm living in Taiwan and they have you know red lights, stop signs, strict uh, traffic enforcement. And people here drive like fast as shit. You know, it's like the stop signs and the stoplights. It gives people like a false sense of security that their safety and well-being is codified instead of like their own responsibility. And um, and then you have nations where they don't have you know, enforcement or laws really. And, um, people seem to be a lot more responsible actually. I, I just, uh, you know, I mean, not to say that, you know, obviously whenever your main form of a uh, commute is by motorbike, I mean, maybe it's dangerous inherently, but, um, you know, also you're not, you don't have like 5,000 pounds behind your ass. So I don't know, <laughs> just something I found interesting from, uh, just some observation. No, that's, no, no, that's the same. I think I'm going to back him up too. I saw the same thing. I'm sure Dan saw the same thing in Mexico. I've seen the same thing in places like the Philippines. Any place that does not have a very large, you know, like a DMV, any place that does not have a large amount of regulation on motor vehicles, they don't actually have a problem where that we that we have uh, as right. big of a problem with, of motor vehicle crashes, deaths, etc. Largely, the only thing that really happens in those areas. 
is sometimes some kid runs out in the street and gets hit by a bus and that's about it that's and and then they get and then they get paid restitution for you know directly from that company it's i think that's a much better system yeah no you you guys are absolutely right there was actually a study that was done um i want to say it was in germany or or some small town in germany somewhere where they did an experiment and they took an existing city um or not a city but like a small town and they removed all of the traffic signs all the traffic lights all the stop signs all the you know all that kind of stuff and just like let people figure it out for themselves and the number of accidents dropped to like nothing because exactly that you don't have this false sense of security well the sign told me to go and you know this other guy was coming down that way i didn't see him because i was paying attention to the sign and you you don't have those things anymore um that's so so true another thing that's like interesting about this topic is a lot of um like safety safety standards that have been implemented in the u.s have actually been lobbied by american automakers and um you can kind of see like a clear, I feel like a clear pattern whenever there's like an economic oil type crisis. Um, American auto companies lobby for these um, safety standards to be implemented to like edge foreign uh, vehicle makers and like small cars out of the market. So they have like, you know, it's like they're securing their own marketplace. I feel like, uh, like, for instance, that's one of the reasons like Suzuki has left the U.S. market is because of the implementation of like implication of new safety standards like post the 2008 financial crisis. They're just like, yeah, we're not going to like return our entire fleet of vehicles and have them updated and then change our manufacturing process again. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, it really hates, I really, I really hate that because like one of my favorite cars is Suzuki. It has nothing <laughs> no, to do with their it. safety <laughs> fucking uh, record or anything like that or rollovers or bad manufacturing, right? Because a Suzuki product in this country, uh, when you look at their actual safety numbers, they suck. Their product sucks when it comes to actual safety. So, I mean, if you like Suzuki I, I, as an individual, more power to you, but when you look at the actual uh, production of the number of vehicles versus uh, injury and death versus if somebody was on, like, let's say it's a Suzuki crotch rocket or they were in one of them uh, uh, Suzuki, uh, I think it was a Chevy and Suzuki joint venture when they created those like Geo Jeeps or whatever they were and they had horrible rollover rates. So, I mean, I, I think that it, when we look at, you know, protecting people as far as bad products um, when it comes to national safety versus uh, state safety versus anything like that. When you're talking about um, the standards that are actually implemented versus what are followed um, from what I've seen from the biggest corporations like Nestle down to the mom and pop that own two trucks, I don't think anybody really understands um, where their equipment's at. I, I think that they've been sold a saw, uh, false sense of security and they don't understand the cost. I, I knew that there was one truck that just in one year cost $54,000 in maintenance and repair, and it was only like three years old. So I, I think people really need to start looking at what the cost of things really are. And, um, and, and instead of the market that we've been sold, what things really cost. And 
There's people that circumvent them. There's people that don't abide by EPA emissions. They delete their trucks. They still run them the old school way. And, you know, more power to them, you know, because no matter what the EPA says is uh, factual, um, when, you, when you look at to all refrigerant products, all uh, after treatment products, everything ends up in the environment regardless. And that's all I got to say. Yeah, I'm there with you, man. I mean, I think the thing about like the Suzuki Jimny and Samurai and Geo is that that's probably operator error. Like, you know, you should drive, you should know how to drive your vehicle and know that, you know, if you're driving a box, it's probably not going to turn like a sports car, for example. But, you know, and that's, that's whenever you're as a consumer, like if I want to buy a vehicle that's actually affordable, like less than 20 grand, like a Suzuki Jimny that you can't get in the United States, you know, I should be able to have that option. Um, and then I should be able to drive it uh, accordingly, like probably stay off interstates because the top end is 70 miles per hour in that vehicle, for example. But, you know, um, oh, I mean, I forgot where I was going with that. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of it is just corporate interest. U.S. corporate interest was driving out the cheaper key style vehicles, which those have a place maybe like in cities. So like consumers that live in cities, they can buy key cars, you know, smaller cars that have less safety standards because, they're not, you know, they're probably not going to be driving more than 40 miles per hour on a given day. But it's like we've robbed these opportunities from people. And like you said, you know, the technological advancements in the name of safety are making the products, you know, essentially like unattainable by, you know, without uh, extensive use of credit, which is like, I think, probably not good. But um, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I delete like, <laughs> I don't know if I should admit to crimes, but I delete like catalytic converters and you know, I do tunes to my vehicles. So, um, yeah, I mean, and it's guaranteed to make the vehicle last longer and lower like maintenance costs, like you said. So, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it's, uh, the law's decision to like, tell me, you know, how I should operate my property or what property or what, like what, what I should have access to in the market. And if I do have access something to something like the way I drive it or the way I use it is my responsibility and not the states to tell me how or what I can use, I feel like. Well, my point is, is that it's not even to the equipment's most efficient that it can actually have as its potential. So they build all these products that make immense amount of horsepower, immense amount of torque become more efficient but then they stick a giant cork in its ass to say that oh well we have to have this this and this well when palladium and uh you know gold and platinum and all these precious metals are no longer available to actually contribute to the catalyst to convert uh carbon monoxide into h2o which they're all supposed to do but you know, I'm I'm not in argument with you. I think that engines run more efficient when they don't have a giant cork in their ass. But they're uh, they're the government has been manipulated by industry to say we have to have X Y Z because the EPA says that we well we got to stop global warming. Well, is it global warming or is it just a climate trend or have we manipulated the science because we said we're gonna drop the the standard by two or three degrees centigrade or, or raise it by two degrees centigrade well that changes all our forecast models and so on and so forth but you know uh to, to think that the government has the ultimate answer for fucking anything that is ludicrous but i'm just a lunatic don't listen to anything i got to say
yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say anything the government comes up with is uh, <laughs> not great information. Um, I mean, you know, we're we're looking at policymakers who um, they know how to pass laws to get money out of us. None of them are engineers. Most of them are lawyers. Um, they're they they're not scientists. They don't understand any of this stuff but when they see some some statistics that'll that'll hold up their argument for passing some law that you know they can they can manipulate people over their emotions with and say oh it's going to make you safer and it's going to put some money in their pockets then they're all on board for that that's that's when they become experts um so yeah it's it's it it's definitely um an acquired art form to be able to spot the bullshit <laughs> whenever a politician's suggesting a new a new law um and, and really right. figure out where it's coming from hey dan here's how a, a after treatment system works on a big class a truck so they inject fuel while it's sitting there stationary and rev the rpms up they inject more fuel into the system in order to create heat to get those uh precious metals and everything up to a certain temperature and then they have a catalyst, which is this honeycomb system, which is, you know, it has all these coatings and stuff on it to actually create a chemical change. And then they inject another chemical called urea, which we call pig piss. It's just basically uh, the chemical uh, composition of urine. And then you, they inject that into the exhaust stream. And then it goes through a, another filtration system, which is all coated with these precious metals and this honeycomb and then what's supposed to come out is h2o so i mean it's all a load of horseshit because they all get clogged because no one runs them how they're supposed to everybody has a deadline to meet no one is actually performing any of the maintenance that is required by the manual because of the cost system you know nobody wants to drop their vehicle off for two weeks and lose the revenue of two weeks just because they need to drop the exhaust system off and have it cleaned. You know, it's the same thing with uh, people don't know that, well, every 50,000 miles, according to every major manufacturer on the planet, your shocks and struts are supposed to be replaced along with your springs. I, I mean, it, it's kind of funny that when you actually look at OEM uh, manufacturer requirements for that vehicle, uh, it's actually like when you're done paying all the payments over like eight years, I think that's the longest extended loan right now is I think eight years. When you're done paying that payment over eight years, you have bought that vehicle like six times over again if you were to actually implement all of the maintenance that's supposed to go into that vehicle. Justin, you'll like this. I know a guy that he has a small fleet of uh, semi-trucks. He does, like, hot shots from the Port of Houston or, yeah, I think it's Port of Houston to um, to Dallas. And to circumvent, like, the two-driver laws and, um, like, logging, electronic logging, he buys new trucks and then engine swaps them with engines that predate, like, 1994 so he can't physically attach a computer to them. Yeah, it's uh, called a glider system. They've been doing it with big trucks, but they've actually shut them down on the Class 8 side just because of the circumvention of the electronic logs. And when Dan was talking about safety, 
The electronic logs were actually supposed to provide the drivers with more sleep. What they actually did was provide the drivers with more sleep deprivation because you have to abide by all these timers that your truck operates on now and you actually can't get to your destination or because of traffic or whatever. Once that timer shuts off, you are now in violation of the law of operating that vehicle. Wait, so how does that equate to less sleep if they're not allowed to to drive them anymore? Because if they do a two driver system. And also it so depends on if you yeah. uh, when your load is actually scheduled to be dropped off because it's all timed. So supposedly you're supposed to get to your your destination at such and such time and your travel time is supposed to be that. And it's all equated on this perfect utopia system which never equates out because maybe you got stuck in the dock for four hours because your load wasn't ready you know maybe you got stuck in traffic for two and a half hours because of an accident but you legally have to make your deadline for that load to reach its destination one but you also have to uh meet the deadline of your uh electronic logs which may put you on the side of a road for eight hours while you have to have a rest period. Interesting. Yeah, and like like you said, it's like kind of like a government like folding back innovation, if you will, because now people are buying like essentially newer model trucks and they're putting engines that predate 1994 in them. So it's physically impossible to put these this uh, computer system log, you know, on their truck. <laughs> Yeah, so they're nice. buying engines from Mexico. At least this guy, he buys his engines from Mexico. It, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, and I would imagine they're less fuel efficient, too. It depends on how they're tuned, though, Dan. Huh. I can make a, a, any engine as efficient as I want it to be. It just depends on how much money I want to put into that engine to make it char characteristically perfect for its optimum use, which wasn't put into the business plan of that engine builder because they wanted to sell parts, they wanted to sell this, they wanted to sell that. Right, but I would imagine like in general, especially people who are trying to skirt some of those those rules are going to not put, put all of that extra money in there to, to get their engines as efficient um, or as clean. Um, and I'm sure without the computers running them also, there's, there's just, they're just inherently like, yeah, sure. You could tune them up a little bit, but um, without all that extra effort, if they're just trying to skirt the computers, then they're probably getting less efficiency, more pollution and all that other stuff. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, diesel, diesel engines are, are rather efficient uh, already. Like you'd be surprised, like the combustion engine, the technology really hasn't changed that much so where we get a lot of our modern efficient uh, excuse me modern efficiency in like combustion engines is like the like the turn off and idle you know where they don't idle they just turn off right, uh, right now so i mean but really like uh there are cars that were getting like 30 mpg like back in the 80s you know it was just like it was basically the way they were doing it was like weight to uh, like you know engine displacement, which now we have really heavy vehicles because of all the uh, increased safety standards. But you know it's like uh, I don't know. 
I find I find like the post '80s oil crisis cars to be really intriguing because they were very dangerous, but they were actually pretty fuel efficient too. So that's yeah. that's interesting that you said that. Like I didn't really because I know like you know like all the cars are plastic now. Like I used to think of like the cars from the '70s as being heavy from from all the metal, but it's like that's a good point. When you add in all that extra equipment, that is extra weight. It's a lot of sound insulation too. Because everybody likes their interiors quiet for uh, uh, sound dampening. So, well, and you can take the uh, president's Cadillac or Lincoln or whatever it is this year and and think about the armor that is put on that vehicle and the special interest that's put into that vehicle as far as suspension and everything else. It just depends on application. And yet again, I can take a 6.7 that comes in your modern Dodge 25-3500 change out uh, the very expensive VGT turbo with the exhaust manifold, not change anything in the tune, just delete everything that's on it that makes it not what it's supposed to be, that engine will make 500 horsepower and about 1,450 pounds worth of torque without changing anything but that. And it will burn the most efficiently because the micron filtration system, I think, on that is like four. And the atomization of that fuel at 40,000 PSI, it, it, it's ridiculous how fuel efficient it really is. But you have to get rid of all the bullshit that's put on there from the EPA to actually make it what it's supposed to be. Interesting. All right, guys. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this room up. My battery's getting ready to die, which is usually when I do these things. Um, but it's been awesome talking to everybody. Um, uh, definitely give me a follow and and also join the club, uh, the clubhouse, whatever, however you say that. Um, uh, and I'll be popping up with with uh, another one of these rooms with probably another tax related topic or one of the many projects I'm working on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been awesome talking with you guys and and um, I'll see you in another in another room sometime. Right on, Dan. Keep cooking. Oh, Thomas! Thomas decided to talk. I, nobody <laughs> would. Uh, nobody gave me a chance to. No. Somebody had to keep talking right. about taxes. Yeah, no. Well, we were talking about trucks. You know a lot about trucks. I do know a lot about trucks. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. I'll catch you later. Have a good, good one.